Hello, this is John Mangini, Vice President of Marketing with the New Jersey Bankers Association. Welcome to the New Jersey Banker Podcast. Today, our President and CEO, Mike Afuso, sits down with Ron Shevlin, Chief Research Officer, Cornerstone Advisors, to discuss the embedded future of banking, the role of fintech in the future of banking, artificial intelligence, challenges to the industry, and more. This episode is brought to you by SEI Sphere. As a managed security services provider, SEI Sphere provides comprehensive business solutions that deliver cybersecurity, network operations, and cloud services. For more information, visit seic.com backslash sphere. Thanks, John. I want to say hello to Ron, one of our uh, keynote speakers at our annual conference. And uh, we're certainly happy to have him here today. Ron, tell me about your keynote address. It's entitled The Embedded Future of Banking. What does that mean? Uh, Mike, it's all about, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on. Thanks a lot for having me at the conference this year. Really looking forward to uh, uh, chatting with everybody and sharing some thoughts and ideas about where banking is going. And the idea about embedded is nothing really mystical or magical. Uh, it's really about distribution. And the idea about embedded is that uh, if we look at the way banking has traditionally been done, uh, somebody comes into a branch and deals with a banker to get products and services that evolved to getting it through the phone that evolved through getting it through a, a website, but the website was from the bank. But what people do with banking products. So the reason they need banking products is often tied to some other reason. We're buying a car, we're buying a house, we're planning to build something, uh, we're starting a company. It could be a, a million different reasons why somebody needs a financial product or service, but it's tied to some other need. And what's happening in banking is that banking is becoming integrated into those other delivery points. Let's say you've got a customer, John, Mike, who needs a uh, wants to do some renovations in their home. They go to Home Depot to buy a whole bunch of stuff. Um, maybe they need a home equity loan. Why not get it directly from Home Depot, who's providing all of the building material and construction stuff? Um, because that's the point at which the customer needs the product. And, and it doesn't have to be a retail customer. It can be a small business owner as well who you know, might be using a, uh, a an application to run their business. And it could be as simple as, you know, doctors with physician management systems. It could be a, a beauty salon running their beauty management system. Uh, they're doing their accounting and see, boy, they're going to be short on uh, payroll this week. Well, they need a, they need a short-term loan to, to make their payroll. Why not get it directly through that system? Um, and so that's really at the core of what embedded really means, Mike. It's about moving banking out to the points of delivery where the customer, whether it's a consumer, whether it's a business, whoever it might be, uh, needs to get that, that product or service. So I know, I know one of the points you like to cover uh, has to do with these, these behaviors of either customers or or small business uh, customers or consumers, what needs to change and what needs to be done to bring about that change? Well, let's talk about how customers, whether they're consumers or businesses, 
financial behaviors have changed over the past, let's say, 15, 20 years. Um, it's not as simple as just saying the internet has made things differently. Uh, it's really about open banking and the movement of data and money that has helped change both consumers and businesses' financial lives and behaviors. Uh, Mike, I've got a buddy who works for one of the big core vendors who pinged me last year on LinkedIn and said, hey, I've got some research I think you'll be really interested in. We did a consumer survey and found that um, consumers have, on average, seven to eight business uh, financial relationships. I responded and said, dude, do not go public with that data. You are off by an order of magnitude of six to seven. You look at younger consumers' financial lives today, and my, the, the average millennial has two to three checking accounts. They've got an account from an established bank, but they're using a fintech like, a, uh, like a, I don't know, whoever, um, I'm blanking out, Revolut to use uh, to do international money transfers, or they're using aspiration because they're concerned with the uh, the environment. And they've got uh, not only savings accounts with those banks, uh, but they're using automated savings tools. Um, they, of course, have three to four credit cards like everybody else does, but the explosion in the payments world is amazing. People are making payments with their Starbucks app, uh, they're using Apple Pay and Zelle and uh, every other Venmo that's out there. And now they're doing buy now, pay later, and they're investing all over the place. Average good consumer probably has 30 to 40 relationships. Uh, and that is normal today for a lot of consumers. On the business side, uh, I just did a survey of, of small businesses. Three quarters of them have more than one deposit. Uh, relationship. Half of them have more than uh, two lending relationships. They're using multiple merchant acquirers. They're accepting nine or 10 different types of payment forms. Uh, their lives have exploded. And from a bank perspective, it, it's really important to kind of understand where you fit into that customer's life. They're, the idea of, hey, let's just move all your products and services to us because we'll make it more convenient to you uh, doesn't hold water. And so it's important for banks to kind of carve out their niche in a, in a customer's life. Again, whether it's a consumer or a business to really understand where they're adding value, uh, what are the products and services that they are going to excel on. And I think that's part of the, the challenge and how things have transformed in banking from being sort of a general financial services provider to being really explicit and specific around uh, particular products and services that fit a particular group's needs and, and uh, desires. So, you know, our, our banks that we represent, and we're, we're very lucky to represent uh, 65 banks that are brick and mortar institutions doing business in New Jersey. Um, some see FinTech as an add-on, some see FinTech as a competitor. What role do you see FinTech playing in this change that you, you just so well uh, talked about? And how do you see FinTech affecting and impacting the future of banking? Yeah, I'm like, first, we've got to really start with a better definition of FinTech because it's such a broad label, uh, you know, it, it's good bet that your banks are using products 
from technology companies like Pfizer and FIS and Jack Henry and CSI and, and Alchemy and Q2, and I'm not getting paid by any of them to say any of this. Um, but are they fintech? I mean, I just came from the AFT, the Association of Financial Technology Companies Conference, and there was no Robinhood or Chime or any of those companies that a lot of people like to think of as fintech there, but they're they're kind of the original fintech. So I think we kind of have to split the this broad this term of fintech into some more uh very specific you know definitions. Uh, I think there's consumer fintech, like a Chime, like a Robinhood that goes directly to consumers, and those are definitely competitors to traditional financial institutions. But there's a group of fintechs, technology companies, that I would categorize as enterprise fintechs because they serve enterprises like, like banks and credit unions. And those are not competitors. Those are partners. They're really vendors <laughs> in a broader sense that they're selling and providing services to the banks. But they're often coming to the bank with a more of a partnership type of model that says, hey, um, let's work together to build the, build this product, build this service, to, you know, build this up where we can help you reduce cost. And instead of having a traditional vendor relationship, we'll take a percentage of the savings. So there's a, a different model that some of them are bringing. But the answer to your question is that they're all of the above and they're competitors and their partners and their vendors, depending on kind of where they fit. Um, one of the things I think is really exciting from a bank perspective is that there is a growing number of new financial technology companies, fintechs, that are really focused on helping the banks become more digital, better efficient, uh, and very importantly, expand their set of products and services that they can bring to their to the bank's customers. So, so essentially, they're here, they're here to stay, and, and we really want to look at the ones that are looking to partner with us. But pivoting, you know, away from the exact technology questions and, and looking at how the future of banking um, is developing, you know, there's this talk about banking of a service as a service and uh, that it's becoming more and more prevalent. But some are also raising similar concerns about how banking as a service is uh, devaluing a bank's brand. Tell me what you think about those concerns. Do you agree with them? Do you, do you think there's more nuance to it? Um, perhaps you have, you have a thought on that. Yeah. Once again, Mike, let's make sure we're getting definitions straight here. Uh, I, you know, you'd started off, we were talking about the word embedded and what that meant. And the term embedded finance has become very popular over the past couple of years. And I, I, I think it's a pretty simple definition about what embedded finance is. It's the provision of financial services from a licensed financial institution through a non-financial institution's firms, products, websites, mobile apps, and processes. So banking as a service is what the bank provides to a non-bank. That could be a fintech, but as my example earlier, it could be a it could be a Home Depot, it could be Nike, it could be a jewelry store who wants to provide a savings account to their customers to save up for uh you, you know some expensive piece of jewelry. But Banking as a service um, is a huge opportunity because as these points of distribution 
uh, become more embedded into the experiences of the provider, and that provider is not necessarily a financial institution, you know, being able to integrate into that becomes very important. And that's why banking as a service has become very popular among a relatively small number of, of banks. But they're mostly sub $10 billion asset banks because, well, one is because of the, the Durban regulations with the uh, but it's also because they're they're looking for opportunities to to kind of to kind of grow beyond their geography. Now, the devaluing comment I've heard from a couple of folks because it comes down to um, risk and compliance. And if something goes wrong with the provider, let's say a fintech goes out of business, does that really impact the bank's reputation? My argument is that no, it doesn't. Let, let's take a bank you've got in New Jersey, Mike, who's you know providing uh, banking as a service providers to a fintech operating out on the West Coast. Does anybody know that New Jersey bank? No. Does the failure of the fintech blow back to the bank? No. You didn't didn't hurt anything to the to the bank. So I don't think it devalues the 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 brand of the bank at all, but. The the challenge for the bank is that this is not business as usual. Uh, this is a big investment that they have to make in building a new service, a new capability, a new competency. They need a new team to do this stuff. It's a huge, huge investment and commitment from a strategic perspective. So it can't just be a you know flavor of the month strategy. Hey, let's experiment with with banking as a service. See if we get anywhere with it. You got to make a huge, huge commitment. Last point, Mike, before you get to the next question, I want to make sure that people that are listening to this recognize that there's a, a flip side of this coin. We talk a lot about embedded finance, the providing of financial services through a non-financial provider. But the flip side of this is what I like to call embedded fintech, where a fintech or non-financial provider provides their product or service through the bank's platform. And this is a way for banks to expand the set of products and services for the customers that they serve uh, that are related to and often integrated into the, the products and services that they have traditionally provided. I think embedded fintech is going to be much bigger than embedded finance. Uh, I've projected that in another couple of years, we'll see about 300 banks across the country providing banking as a service type services. I posted this on LinkedIn a few months ago, and most of the comments told me that I was wrong by an order of magnitude of three. They thought maybe 100 banks would be doing this. I think that's really wrong. I'm actually beginning to think I was wrong by about an order of magnitude of two. I think it'd be more than 500 to 600. But Mike, in the scheme of things, we've got three, 4,000 banks. That's still a small percentage who would be doing that. And I think most of them will lean more towards the embedded fintech model, where they integrate other companies' products and services into their offerings. You know, things like subscription management services, bill negotiation services, even crypto will make a comeback. Uh, a lot of different type of protection services like data breach protection services. There's a lot of things that are money related that banks can be offering and my bet, Mike, is that in New Jersey, uh, the vast majority of the 65 banks that you represent and serve don't have huge product development teams who do product design and development. 
what they want and are, are yearning to provide a broader set of services to their providers, to their customers. And that's what they're going to be looking to do over the next, uh, throughout this decade, really. So, so you know, you, you alluded to the numbers. Um, if, if there's 6,000 banks and there's 300 uh, fintechs, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very small percentage, 5% if we're lucky. Um, same story in New Jersey, if there's 65 banks, 5% is not, not really a huge number. It's, you know, three or four banks. Um, but for the ones that really want to get involved in this, what are some of the technologies, banking technologies, that should be on a bank's radar? Because, you know, we have, as I said, 65 banks, and um, it's a very, very competitive marketplace. So it might be a place where a bank would seek to enter this new area. So tell us about what they should be thinking about and what should be on their radar. So there are a couple of things, Mike, that should be on every bank's radar, regardless of whether or not they're going down the embedded finance slash banking as a service route or not. First of all, if you're going down that route, and again, as you said, you know, out of 65 banks, we're probably going to see four or five in New Jersey that are, are really doing this, but but maybe more because I think the, the bigger opportunity here is on the B2B side by integrating into vertical SaaS applications, things like that. But what those banks will need, and even those that go down the embedded fintech route, will need some sort of middleware type capability, integration platforms. There are emerging number of companies uh, in the financial technology provider space, the enterprise fintech space, not the Chime and Robinhood space, but the uh, the enterprise fintechs who are coming to the banks and saying, you need to tie a lot of this stuff together. You need to integrate your own systems internally, as well as with external providers. So looking at these middleware providers, and I don't necessarily want to give anybody shout out because it sounds like I'm uh, maybe you know, advocating for any of them, and I'm not. But what comes to mind are companies like Core 10, uh, MuleSoft in the more in bigger enterprise space. These are the types of platforms that banks need to be looking at. Um, and that's regardless of whether or not they're doing the embedded finance or embedded fintech space. The other technology, and uh, I will talk a lot about this at, at the uh, conference as well, regardless of the embedded fintech or finance strategy, Mike, is uh, looking at conversational AI technologies. Uh, we typically think of chatbot as a conversational AI tool or technology. And I can just, I can hear the groans of the people listening to this already. They're saying, oh God, Shevlin, don't you use chatbots? They're horrible. They're terrible. And yeah, may, many of them are, but they're very important technology uh, from an evolution perspective, because what's happening is chatbots are evolving towards uh, more uh, intelligent digital assistance thanks to a lot of machine learning technologies, other AI-type tools. And the reason I think this becomes such a foundational technology for banks, Mike, is that it's not just about having a front end to your customer to help them with easy questions. It's about helping employees understand what's the right response to a customer, what is the right thing that we should be doing in this situation. Um, I did a, a study last year called the, uh, the Chatbot Journey how chatbots were becoming members of the team. 
And when I went into this and uh, the, the firm that commissioned this was saying, listen, we, we really want you to understand how a lot of our clients are making chatbots like an employee. My eyes rolled. I was like, you got to be kidding me. But when I talked to these banks, I was amazed at how they really think about the chatbot as just another member of the team with a personality that is becomes a team member. Uh, and I think conversational AI has got to be right there at the top of the list of new technologies that banks need to look at regardless of their embedded finance or embedded fintech strategy. So, you know, as we as we wind down our time here, I just want to talk about, you know, the past and the future. Quickly, are there legacy systems that banks should be putting out to pasture one? And what do you see as a quick uh, opportunity and threat analysis uh, for the industry in the next couple of years? I'm not sure anything can get put out to pasture that easily. And I also think that becomes a very individual bank decision to to make. It's a it's a tough road to hoe to to decide you're going to you know swap out your core, and that's why going back a question or two to the integration platforms, the middleware, they're offering often offering a path to um, to modernization that can help uh, alleviate the need to have to replace the the, the core altogether. Um, so that one that addresses, I think, the the, the put out to pasture part. Uh, and Mike, let me just ask you, what was the second part of the question again? Opportunities and and threats to the industry in two years. Uh, and Ben, no one's going to like this answer, but um, as far as I'm concerned, the biggest threat to the industry uh, is our government that continues to keep and pile more regulation and compliance needs that limit the uh, ability to to innovate smartly uh, and just basically adds cost onto the system and then does not share and spread that regulatory and compliance requirement evenly across i mean this is this is the embedded problem you've got companies with you know going out there providing financial services but because they're not banks they're not covered by this um, I, if I was at the bank, I'd always be worried, of course, about new entrants into the market. Obviously, big tech companies like Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and whoever always provide, always pose threats. But the, as far as I'm concerned, the biggest issue and, and challenge is going to be the uh, the regulatory environment. Well, we certainly appreciate your insights. Look forward to seeing you at our uh, annual conference in May. And uh, Ron, we really appreciate it. Again, I want to thank our guest today, Ron Shevlin, Chief Research Officer, Cornerstone Advisor. And for the New Jersey Banker Podcast, I'm Micah Fuson.